Number four of The Heart of a Mystery by L.T. Meade and Robert Eustace. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Number four, A Conjuring Trick, Part One. Rather a strange game is this of ours, said Pinheiro to me one afternoon. I was better again, although still quite the wreck of my former self. I was lying on the balcony in his house and enjoying the delicious air. The tone of his voice, as he now spoke, startled me. His eyes were gloomy and full of trouble. Of course, Phineas, you clearly understand that we are both playing for the same stake, he continued. Mademoiselle Delacorte is the stake, and we shall get her yet. I smiled. I wish I could agree with you, I answered. But the more I think of that woman, the more she overpowers me, and the more I feel that she will always elude us. No, he answered, not forever. We shall have her yet. He had scarcely uttered the words before the servant entered the room bearing a letter which was addressed to me and had an English postmark on it. I opened it hastily and in some fear. Had my lawyer in London bad news to convey? One glance, however, reassured me. The letter was from an old friend of my father's, a certain Sir James Noel of the War Office. It ran as follows. My dear Finesse, I am wondering if you are home again. I want to see you very particularly, so I write this on the chance that it will be forwarded to your present address, wherever it happens to be. You will be surprised to learn that your old friend Evelyn is engaged. The wedding is to take place in less than a month. She is about to marry my private secretary, Mr. Monk, a very clever fellow who has been in my employment for some time. Monk has lately come in for a considerable property and will leave me immediately after the wedding. I want someone to take his place, and it has occurred to me that you might like the post. It is essential that I should have a man with me on whom I can absolutely rely. We cannot shut our eyes to the fact that hostilities between this country and the Transvaal are more than likely. Will you wire me your answer on receipt of this? I beg you to come if possible. There is more in my request than meets the eye. Yours in haste, James Noel. It is odd, I said, handing the letter across to my friend. I seem destined to be mixed up in this infernal war. Read the letter, Pinheiro, and tell me what I should do. Pinheiro read Sir James Noel's communication very quietly. When he came to the end, a grim smile played round the corners of his lips. The gods fight for us at last, he said. This is magnificent. What do you mean? I cried. My dear fellow, if we had arranged the thing, it could not have been better. Let me send off a wire for you at once, accepting the offer. A sudden animation lit up his face and gleamed in his eyes. You are thinking of the last sentence in Sir James Noel's letter, I remarked. Possibly I am, he answered. But do you not see for yourself the immense advantage we shall gain by being once more in touch with the enemy? But how shall we be in touch? I fail to understand. Judging from the information received, I shall be much surprised if Mademoiselle Delacourt is not poking her delicate little thumb into the war office secrets. You must accept, and at once, Finesse. But am I justified? Remember, I am wanted by the French Secret Service in connection with supposed war secrets, although, of course, I possess none. You must tell Sir James everything, was his answer. What you know may be of the greatest service to the war office. Now, my dear fellow, do not, I implore you, throw away this great chance of silencing that dreadful woman, perhaps forever. Remember what it means, your freedom from further persecution, and— his voice hardened. I shall have squared my account. Finesse, you must be the mouse to lure the cat in the direction of the trap. Thank you. 
What a cheerful situation! But suppose I get a scratch from her claws? If you trust me, you will run no risks. Now, are you going to accept? I suppose so, I answered after a moment, during which I was thinking hard. It seems preposterous and unreasonable and a little mad, but no doubt you are right. Will you send a wire for me? Will I, he replied, with a thousand congratulations, my good friend. Before heaven, this fires me with new life. He rushed from the room. A few hours later, I had Sir James's reply. He begged me to take the first possible train to London. The Sud Express left Lisbon the next day, and Pinheiro and I arranged to go by it. We sat long into the night discussing our plans, and four days later we found ourselves once again on English soil, embarked in one of the strangest games two men were ever destined to play. I wired to Sir James to say that I should be in London at midday, and on our arrival at my chambers, to my surprise and delight, I found the good baronet waiting for me. "'Delighted to see you, my boy,' he said, coming forward and grasping my hand. "'It is most good of you to come so promptly. Your arrival is the greatest relief to me.' "'May I introduce my friend, Signor Pinheiro?' I said. Pinheiro bowed and began to talk at once in his excellent and fluent English. "'I will leave you both,' he said after a moment or two. "'I want to secure rooms at the Berkeley.' When he was gone, Sir James began to speak in a serious tone. "'My dear Fernese,' he said, "'I regard this acceptance of yours as most lucky. You, of course, appreciate the responsibility of the appointment you have agreed to take, but I may as well tell you at once it is due to a very special reason that I have chosen you. There are some extraordinary things happening, and it is not only our mission, but our duty to find out what they are.' "'I do not understand you, sir,' I answered. But I continued, before we proceed further, it is only right that you should know the strange and terrible position in which I myself am placed. Can you listen? I cannot accept this appointment until you know the whole truth. Tell me, Phineas, and be quick, was his answer. He sank into a seat near the window, and turning his back on the outside world, listened with attention while I gave him a rapid and precise resume of the strange events which had come into my life during the last few months. Before I reached the end, I could see that he was much excited, and as I finished, he leapt to his feet. So, Mademoiselle Delacorte has been hunting you down, he said. She is under the supposition that you possess one of the French Secret Service secrets? Precisely. And she has on three occasions very nearly succeeded in her designs, I answered with a shudder. That scratch from the tiger's claw was a near thing, touch and go, in fact. By Jove, he exclaimed. She may be the mysterious and powerful center from which all my present troubles arise. What you have told me is of the greatest importance to us. As a matter of fact, we are just now in a fine mess. The emissaries and spies of our enemies in the Transvaal are ever on the watch. The best detectives are hard at work to discover their whereabouts and modes of operation, but can do nothing. Listen, this is what has just happened. It is worrying me to my grave. On two occasions lately, we have discovered that some of our most private secrets in connection with our armaments and reserves have found their way to the Transvaal through French channels, and the horror of the whole thing is that they are secrets for which I alone am responsible. Everything conceivable has been done to discover the traitor, but the man to do so has yet to be found. Then I can name him, I cried. The man of all men for your work. You have just seen him, Signor Pinheiro. 
Political intrigue is his specialty. He speaks almost every European language, and it's well known to the police in all the capitals of Europe. He is a Portuguese by birth, but I know for certain that he will be ready and willing to throw himself into the work of this business immediately. He is also implicitly trustworthy. If Mademoiselle Delacourt should be at the bottom of all your trouble, rest assured, Signor Pinheiro will not fail to discover her. Has he, too, fallen into the trap of that woman? asked Sir James. Yes, I answered, lowering my voice to a whisper. The object of his life is to revenge himself. Did you notice that one of his hands lacks two fingers? He owes that to Mademoiselle, but how she did it and when I know not, for he will not reveal his secret. Sir James rubbed his hands with pleasure. The arrival of your friend is most opportune, he said, but we must move rapidly. Now, listen. In affairs of such immense importance, I cannot employ Pinheiro without getting permission from Scotland Yard. This is a mere form, of course, and I will go there immediately. Finesse, you and Pinheiro must come down to Warley Court tonight and dine and sleep. You will be glad to see Evelyn and my wife again, and I want to introduce you both to Monk, my present secretary. He is as troubled over this matter as I am. Now I will leave you, for there is much to be done. Sir James went off at once, and I strolled across to the Berkeley. I found Pinheiro enjoying an excellent lunch, and I immediately told him the news. "'This is capital,' was his reply. "'I shall have some business on my own account to transact this afternoon, and will meet you and Sir James at Baker Street at 6.10.' "'You know London well,' I remarked. He smiled. "'I lived in London for many years,' he said after a pause. "'In those days I was light-hearted and happy.' but that was before. His face grew dark, and a frown knit his forehead. I looked at him with admiration. To the outward eye he was only a very thin, hollow-cheeked, dark-looking man, in apparently bad health. It was difficult to realize that he was in reality one of the keenest detectives in Europe, a man to be trusted as men trust those they care most for. We arrived at Warley Court just in time to dress for dinner. I was down before Pinheiro and had scarcely spoken to Lady Noel and Evelyn before Monk appeared. I was naturally interested in the man who was to marry Evelyn and whose place I was to take as Noel's private secretary. He was tall, good-looking, and self-possessed. His manner was that of one used to society. He had a low voice and a pleasant accent. On the whole, he was the sort of person to impress one favorably. But as I looked at him, I wondered if he was worthy of Evelyn, whom I had known from a child and had always regarded with special affection. She was a very beautiful and spirited girl, barely nineteen years of age. I thought her far too young to be Monk's wife and wondered why Sir James consented to the marriage. She was, to all appearance, in high spirits and laughed and chatted volubly, but I could not help an uneasy fear that her mirth was a little forced and once again I looked at Monk to discover the cause. As I glanced at him, our eyes met. His eyes were peculiar, very light gray in color, with black rims round the irises and thick black lashes. Handsome eyes in themselves, but I did not care for their expression. Instinctively I drew nearer to Evelyn, as if I would protect her, and then, ashamed of myself, entered into an animated conversation with Lady Noel. During dinner, Pinheiro made himself agreeable. He talked on the varied subjects of the day with ease and distinction. It was only when the possible war with the Transvaal was mentioned that he remained silent. 
As soon as the ladies had withdrawn, Sir James lowered his voice and began to speak on the subject that was uppermost in all our minds. "'It has been a great pleasure to welcome you here as a guest,' he said, turning to Pinheiro. "'It is even a greater pleasure to make your acquaintance in your professional capacity. I have been to Scotland Yard today and have secured your services in connection with a very serious official question. Inspector Scott welcomes your cooperation and authorizes me to give you my fullest confidence.' "'You can depend on my doing my best,' answered Pinheiro. "'And now,' he added, "'I have something to say on my own account. "'I also called on Inspector Scott this afternoon "'and have heard from him most of the details "'of this extremely interesting case. "'The last instance of treachery relates to armaments "'which were to be immediately dispatched to South Africa. "'The particulars were mentioned by you, Sir James, "'in a sealed dispatch to the Colonial Office "'and were known only to you and to your secretary, Mr. Monk.' Now, one thing is evident. We are face to face with some entirely new criminal method, of which there has been no previous experience in the annals of crime. Otherwise, such information could not have been obtained by a spy. There is no doubt, whatever, that it was through Paris that this information was forwarded to President Kruger. Of course, I can speak freely in the presence of Mr. Monk. Certainly, cried Sir James. Monk is my private secretary. Then I shall betray no confidence when I make a remark. Mr. Finesse has already told you how, by an extraordinary coincidence, he and I are both in touch with that most dreadful gang of spies, at the head of which is Mademoiselle Delacorte. At these words, Monk got up slowly, went to the door, and turned the key in the lock. What is the matter, Monk? asked Sir James, irritation in his voice. Nothing, Sir James. As we are talking on such very private matters, I thought it best to secure our not being interrupted. Pinheiro gave the private secretary a keen glance, then looked at Sir James. I know all about your adventures in Portugal, said the baronet, but now to return once more to my own affairs. The day after tomorrow I shall be sending in my communication to the foreign office in reference to shell ammunition. Of course, the usual secrecy will be exercised. But should this matter leak out, as other matters have done, the result will be most disastrous. I shall, of course, have to give up my appointment at the war office. My reputation will be damaged. I shall be a ruined man. But why should I talk of my private affairs? The disaster to the country at large is what one has to guard against. Your position is a very grave one, said Pinheiro, and you will have to use the utmost caution, remembering the system of espionage to which you are doubtless subjected. Now, I am taking up this matter and shall work with Inspector Scott, and will not trouble you with any further discussion. I by no means despair of solving the riddle. Perhaps before your wedding day, sir. Here Pinheiro bowed to Monk. I shall leave here early in the morning and return to town, he added. By the way, Mr. Monk, I must add my trifle to Miss Knowles' wedding presents. Can you tell me the name of a good jeweler? Monk mentioned the name of a West End firm and then added, but you must not think of giving us a present, signor. Pray, scribble the name down, said Pinheiro, passing him an old envelope. He did so, and returned it to the Portuguese. When we joined the ladies, Evelyn came to my side. I have been waiting to talk to you, she said. Come into the conservatory. Oh, do be quick. I don't want father to ask me to sing. The girl's face was grave, and even old for her years. I wondered at its expression, and my heart beat for a moment a little quicker than usual, while a strange sensation of apprehension swept like a cold wind through my frame. 
we strolled into the conservatory. Evelyn paused by a magnolia tree in full flower, and plucking one of the blossoms, began to pull it to pieces. Now tell me, she said quickly, what is the matter? What is wrong? How do you know there's anything wrong? I asked. She stamped her foot. Am I a child? she asked. My mother notices nothing, but I am not blind. My father is in trouble. There is a burden on his heart. Has he confided it to you? He has, I said after a pause. There is something the matter. It relates to his work at the war office. I must not tell you more. I cannot betray his confidence, can I? You have told me all I want to know, she replied. She stood still, looking straight before her. Her beautiful eyes were full of intense trouble, almost despair. Suddenly they filled to the brim with large drops which rolled down her cheeks. She bent towards me, her voice low and troubled. My father's unhappiness has something to do with Reginald Monk. What do you mean? I could not help exclaiming. You are engaged to Monk. I know, I know. And you are happy? It cannot be otherwise. I have known you, Evelyn, from a child. Tell me that you are happy. You love the man whom you are about to marry? No, she said in a low voice, but I am marrying him because it is the only way in which I can save my father. Evelyn, what can I do for you? This is terrible. We had reached the farther end of the conservatory. There was a door here which led onto the lawn. Evelyn opened it, and we both stepped out. I can no more confide in you than you can confide in me, she said, but I will give you one commission for the sake of old times. Discover the truth. If I only could, I exclaimed, you must go back. I am suspected. I feel as if the air were full of spies. You cannot guess what I am enduring, Mr. Finace. For the sake of our old friendship, discover the truth. I will, I said, and she left me. End of number four, part one.